Hello? Are you there? I've been waiting ten years I was talking to the electrician who came over, so we moved in, and I'm in the new house, and it's all lovely, it's much better than I was expecting, I'm up here in the attic, this is where my bedroom is going to be, um, and it's funny, I kind of started working downstairs to figure it out, sort it out, kitchen was first thing to sort out, tiny kitchen by the way, but great garden, uh, sorted it out and then worked our way up the stairs to sorting out the bathroom, then we sorted out the school room, then I sorted out the boys room, then I sorted out the girls room, and then finally, and I, as I went round the room sorting it all out, unpacking, organizing, I kind of bought every now and again, I was like, ah, oh, we're in a new situation, I can buy a couple of things, right? So I bought, you know, an olive tree um, for 15 pounds from Facebook Marketplace, you know, I bought the sofa, um, so spent probably a couple hundred altogether on these different things, which is a lot for me, and then we got to the attic where I'm, <laughs> where I'm supposed to be, sorry for the mesophones, but to be fair, if you're a mesophone, why are you listening to podcasts? There's going to be tons of saliva and blowing through noses and swallowing sorry and uh, so we got up to the attic and um just ran out of money <laughs> didn't literally i just got guilty i was like i can't spend anymore so got to the attic and it's just it looks like trash absolute trash well maybe because it's an attic and it's covered in yellow paint yellow paint but also because I there's no IKEA furniture. There's there's one there's IKEA bed. Apart from that, you know the desk is just plywood screwed together in a shape shifting no a makeshifting fashion. Shape shifter fashion is something else entirely. The electrician came the day after we moved in. He t he turned up at the door. He knocked. I opened it. Hello? And he said, All right, buddy. My name's Electrician, and I'm going to be your electrician. And can I come in for a full day and um, twiddle with your wires and, you know, take apart your staircase to get to things and t uh, turn your electricity off in your house for one and a half days and then come back next week and do the another one and a half days of having no electricity and no bo boiler for part of it and no um no dignity and no privacy so all right and i said um okay mr electrician if you have to and he come in and he done it um but the moral of that story, and the reason why I'm telling it, is has completely escaped my brain. Um, apart from the sheer fun of it. Oh, no, it was because, yeah, I was talking to him, and he was saying, the twiddly bop has is, is got stuck around the what's it, Jubie. And if you, and that's why I'm going to use a new fludge handle, 
and can you direct me to the beep beep bops please and i said oh uh sorry sir i don't know what beep bops are it was something really simple like where's the boiler or like where's your fuse box and i was like <laughs> i just don't know the first thing about it so i was trying to pretend that i am a competent adult with him um and then my <laughs> three-year-old i didn't really notice what he's doing but he came up to me he stood on a chair he brought a chair over he stood up on the chair while i was talking to mr electrician and he put his eye onto my nipple the three-year-old did that is not the electrician and he was <laughs> looking into my onto my chest uh nipple area as if it was a telescope and he said i can see and i said Shh, i'm just talking to the electrician uh yes anyway the flag hoodle and three-year-old was like i can see that daddy is pregnant I did not, and this is the real kicker, okay? This is the climax of this story. The electrician showed not a single smile, not a single tiny movement of mirth upon his stubbled chin. Nothing. Absolute poker face from start to finish. I burst out laughing, obviously. The electrician looked at me as if I had no teeth. Like, what, what, are, you, what are you? What is that thing crawling around you? But anyway, the, the rest of the day that the, he was there, the my three kids were crawling around his, <laughs> his legs going, what is that? Why is that one not as loud? Why is that drill not as loud? And stuff and i really want part of me wanted to go stop annoying him and stop talking his ear off get away and do your own kid things but also part of me wanted me to wanted to encourage them to learn what they could from him and, and ask the questions even though that's not what he's being paid for and it probably is a bit annoying but he didn't seem that perturbed he seemed more perturbed by me laughing at him saying that he could see through my nipple that he that i'm pregnant that i'm pregnant so I've really had to reset the way I've been talking to my little toads. Wait, let me get my notes. There they are. Um, I've no I noticed, okay, a few weeks ago I noticed that I was just barking at them constantly. And um barking just eighty-five percent of my interactions with them would be Okay, shoes on! Time to go! Amos, I said shoes on, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, um, why haven't you done this? And just quite disrespectful. If, if I, if I talked to friends like that, um, or my wife or my mother or anyone else, it would be considered really disrespectful, but to my children, it's just the norm. And I, I thought, <laughs> how do I do this thing where I do have authority as a father and they should be expected to do the right thing, but uh, barking 
at them doesn't seem to work. Like, I need them to get, I, I, I want to be able to get out to sports on time, but I also want to stay loving. My friend from Barn School, Vic, Victoria, she commented on my Instagram saying, when I said that in my story, she said that she has a thing called lovingly late in their house where if you can't be if being on time means you have to be you have to shout and fight and be disrespectful then it's not worth it i'd rather be lovingly late she says i like that but it was a cue for me to think about things and rethink also charlotte mason obviously everything I will not from now on go <laughs> for the at least for the next six months go an Instagram post, an Instagram story, an Instagram anything, a YouTube video, a podcast without talking about Charlotte Mason because I'm three quarters of the way through her first book on homeschooling and obviously it bangs every sentence bangs and um, just tons of stuff makes me rethink about things the the history thing that I was talking about last podcast, that's Charlotte Mason Bourne. But one of the things she was saying early on in the book, first about quarter of the way through, is to be asking questions. So the way you, you, you start a habit, she says, education is about habit forming, which I, seems to have the ring of truth. And one such simple habit would be, you know, the, the, the example she chose was, closing the door behind you when you go out of a room and she would say that the way to form that habit is you call them back with a simple johnny and he would look around and you'd smile and kind of point your eyes at the door um and the simple effort that it takes to move over to the door and close it is enough to build the habit because habits are about you a habit is when it's easier to do some to do to close the door than it is to have to be called back to close the door so a habit is it's second nature and it's it's Habit is like utilized laziness. For me, it's kind of easier to wash my hands after I've gone to the toilet just because it would take moral, it would take an amount of deliberation to think I should not, this time I'm not going to do it. So in other words, it's easier for me to, so we want to be able, we want to make it easier for kids to do the right thing. Which means I've been trying to, but uh, trying to insert moments of moral deliberation um, in order to make it harder to do the wrong thing. So it means that if they do the wrong thing, then I draw them aside, take them over to the staircase, the bottom of the stairs, and I say, what do you think about that, that you just did? And they say, I don't know. And I say, 
how do you think he feels about you hitting him? And he says, oh, bad. Why do you think that's bad? Why do you think he feels bad about that? I don't know. What ought you, ought you to be doing for your brother? I don't know. W what are you? You are my arrow. I am the warrior for the kingdom of God. <laughs> That's me and then him at the end. And so what, so what ought you be doing? Um, blessing him, I guess. Well, how would you might, how might you bless him to leave him to eat his breakfast and not hear him? Okay, so he's gone through a whole process to think about the wrongdoing, which means if he, if that is consistently in place where he has to consider and go through the, it's not a punishment, it's just looking at, looking your wrongdoing straight in the eye. But, you know, she talks about organic consequences as well, Charlotte Mason. So if they draw on the wall, um, it is their job to clear it up rather than have the disconnected consequences of being sent to their room with no pudding. And then daddy clears up the the wall. Well, no, they have the consequences of dealing with their wrongdoing. They look their, con they look their wrongdoing straight in the eye. They look right at the wall. And they look at it for 45 minutes because it takes blooming 45 minutes to clear up this crayon from the wall. So, but that's much harder for daddy because daddy needs to create the difficulty that it takes for the child to clear it up. So if you're trying to create moral deliberation and looking the pro difficult, long process of looking wrongdoing right in the eye, that's hard work for daddy too, because he has to facilitate it all. So that's why I haven't been doing it because it's so much easier to go, get shoes on, go to your room now. Then they're out of my sight, you know, or I've never really done <laughs> pudding, but you know, it would be something like no pudding for you. Right, that's that's it. No park for you tomorrow. Whatever it is. Much easier. But I think you'll find that maybe you're one of these parents or maybe you've just seen these types of parents where they, it's like they are, you know that cornstarch, um, you know that cornstarch experiment where you put it with something like water and something and if and if you hit it then it resists but if you just slide your hand in slowly it goes in um and has an impression well you've seen the parents who just hit and hit and hit and hit not necessarily physically but they just bark and bark and bark and i've got my eye on you you're doing me edin and no park for you and breakfast blah 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 just barks and shouts and and it just, it, they have to do more and more and more of it because it has less and less impact. The harder you hit, the less impression it has in the cornstarch. So they just get exasperated by this, by seemingly um, sociopathic six-year-olds who just couldn't care less about the distress of their mothers because the 
distress and embarrassment of their mothers has been pawned off too many times as the engine of moral decisions, as like the linchpin of moral decisions. That you are embarrassing me, son, so you better buck up. Well, guess what? I don't care anymore that you're embarrassed. I don't care anymore, says the six-year-old. And it should lead us to consider whether the embarrassment and distress of the parents ought to be at the center of the moral lives of the children. This is why it's crucial that you smile when you glance over to the door and ask them to close uh, uh, um, in, in, an, in the gesture of asking them to close it. Because not only are you modeling emotional regulation, but you're also saying it's not about even if I'm completely happy right now, it's still right for you to close that door because it's nothing to do with me. It's about you and the door. It's about you and blessing people with closing the door and not letting the draft in. So that's also why you are saying, that's why you ask questions because You are asking them, you're like the conscience. You are not the law. So there's the law, which one of its dictates may be, you know, you don't hit your, don't hit your brother. That's the law. Because, and it has various becauses. You don't hit your brother because um, you want to bless him. And, um, it stops him from doing this good thing and it will cause these bad things. That's the law. And then the conscience is the prod which makes you, which draws your attention to the becauses. The conscience says, look, look at your brother. Look at how much suffering he's going through right now. You can avoid your conscience by running away and not seeing him cry. But the conscience says, conscience is looking at him, seeing his tears and looking that the washing up is not done now because we're all fraught and which means we can't do, we can't play chess. Now we were hoping to play chess after dinner, but now we can't because we're, everyone's in tears and now it's nearly bedtime and we, ha and we haven't, you know, it's looking at that, looking it straight in the face. That's what conscience does. And the parent I'm discovering, the parent's role is an external conscience. I think my mother told me this once. I think this is an idea that came from my mother. Um, or maybe she got it from a, a book or something. Anyway, this idea that the, the parent is... Um, another conscience. 
So, yes, emotional regulation, asking questions. Um, do you think that's right? Are you going to do that again? What do you think God would think about that? Um, that's one thing. When it comes to getting out of the house on time, there's also my other friend from barn school, which is a little seedling of a co-op uh, we've got going on in Oxford. Um, home education co-op. Um, she suggested a timer, a visual timer, where all three of them, only one can, you know, my eldest can tell the time, my middle can tell that it's kind of like somewhere in between one and two my youngest can't really tell the time um so for only only for my eldest would saying we're going in 15 minutes make any sense really to them to her with any precision anyway so we got this timer that has you can see the blue um uh, of when it's of how much time you've got left and then it beeps so it's up to an hour and so now i've been doing you know an hour before we go i've set a time first of all i've set a timer a one hour timer for every meal which is a lot of time but they just spent so they would spend all day there just having fun and feasting and but Though that is great, we and we, we don't put a timer on the weekend meals, we do sometimes need to get out of the house or get on with other stuff. And sometimes it's stuff that they want to do. So anyway, it's a timer of one hour, but it's also a timer of one hour um, before we have to go. And that's crucial because I up until this point, I've only been giving them 20 minutes and my three-year-old just can't get ready to go in 20 minutes. Uh, he can, but there's, it's not gracious of me i don't think to give him only 20 minutes that's how long i would take to go usually unless i'm putting up my make putting on my makeup and my tights and high heels but that's only you know that's only in the evenings every evening and the but so they can see it's more clear to them and it's less about again i'm not the law the the clock is the law and i'm just every now and again saying well how would you think would you feel if it the, it beeped and then we'd have to go out and you've got no shoes on on those stones and you would feel the stones on your feet how do you think you're going to feel about that if you've got no shoes on and so there's the there's the prod of conscience he looks at the clock that's law and together in the context of emotional regulation and loving gentleness that's a recipe for getting your shoes on with enough space enough space for the plant to grow sunlight for it to grow towards you know nutrients as a recipe for a healthy plant and apparently banana skin if you put banana skin in some water for a while and then you pour the water on a plant apparently that's good for it too anyway um so that's another thing here's another tip that i found um 
positive, make it positive. I've said this before, but um, yes, there's a place for look at the tears of your brother. But mainly the thing that's going to help is out of the heat of the moment, don't try and do too much teaching and preaching in the heat of the moment. A three-year-old's not going to listen to you about the precepts of the law or whatever when he's crying and he's tired and everything like that and there's angriness and hitting get out release the pressure have a sleep get up next morning address it in your morning meeting dress it over breakfast when you're all happy and rather than say it's really rubbish it's really garbage that you hit your brother really garbage of you you garbage human um <laughs> you could say that or you could go what is your job towards your brother? Um, I'm repeating myself now, but it's make it positive. A positive question. What ought you to be doing right now? I've been said that so many times in the last two weeks. What do you think you is your how, how do you think you can bless us right now? Um, and then. He goes, sometimes my three-year-old, you know, I'm trying to get him to do the stairs. Oh, that revealed a bit of my heart there when I said I'm trying to get him to do something. But, yeah, maybe that's manipulative. Oh, no, a moment of a spiral of introspection. But, uh, and he, that's his normal job um, to, to clear up the stairs. And I say, what? do you need to do straight after breakfast? And he says, don't know. And I said, uh, do you want a suggestion? And I would say, do you want a suggestion of how to bless us? And he, and, and he, he would say, yeah. And I'd say, it would be such a blessing if that stairs were clear and then our feet would be nice and clear and it would look all nice and all, all the things would be in the right places. And I think that would really bless us benefit us that's basically what i mean by bless in this context is benefit and he says i want to do the wrong thing and that's the hardest bit it's only really my three-year-old who says that because he doesn't kind of feel the weight of what that means i want to do the wrong thing <laughs> most people say it in their hearts occasionally uh, well, everyone does but no one says it so explicitly as a three-year-old I want to do the wrong thing, meaning I don't want to do it right now. And that's the hardest. But honestly, I re I believe my job then is to say, okay, you, you do the wrong thing. Um, because up to him on the final analysis and then I bring it up again I'm the conscience I bring it up again five minutes later ten minutes later next day whatever but then after all of this I, I thought to myself and then I got to the end of the chapter so I made all these changes and then I got to the end of the Charlotte Mason chapter and she was like she was she very much put her foot down on the authority of the parent to say it is expected that you do not lie and that you obey 
precisely and immediately because they are your parents. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's... <sighs> I need to make that clear as well. That, yes, it is a, an issue between them and Lessing, the household. Not an issue between me and the... Uh, not an issue... Not a matter of the relationship between them and uh, a distressed or embarrassed parent. Okay, that's true. But also, it's part of the role of the conscience to look them in the eye, to look the child in the eye and say, are you lying to your father? With perfect calmness, if possible, say, are you lying to your father right now? With a degree of weight to it, but no threat, no underlying threat in the tone of voice. Um, because I naturally want to control through directly control um, rather than be out of the spotlight as the conscience. But yes, without threat, without intimidation, with love, but with um, appropriate weight, you say, are you lying to your mother? And the idea with that is that it ought to be just the fact, just seeing that you are, just noticing that you are, ought to do the moral work for you. If you have you ever been in a situation where you've done something wrong and then the just think to a moment where the where your conscience has really convicted you on something. What is it exactly, precisely, that happened in that moment when the conscience convicted you? What reasoning did you go through? Did you think I should, uh, you know, say you were mean to a friend that you that you called a friend. Um, you, you made you made fun of a friend in a really mean way, and, you, and at the moment, at at the time, you were kind of justifying it and saying, you know, but oh, she she gets it, and is, and we're all just having fun. But then, but then you're convicted, and you think, oh no, I did something wrong. In that moment. Are you doing the reasoning of it's wrong for me to do it because this and that and and God says for me to do that? Or is it usually kind of all those things kind of come culminate altogether under the bonnet? And really what's happening in that moment of conviction is just the fact that I was mean to my friend. You just suddenly see what you did. Or, you know, I watched a documentary about uh, um, someone who murdered his mother. <laughs> That's a horrible thing to bring up. But I remember very clearly he was in the he was in prison. He was there was an interview and he described the moment when he realized what he did. And it was just that he and then he realized and he said, and then it just hit me that I murdered my mother just the simple truth of it 
And so let's not pile on layer after layer of emotional um, attacks. Um, I think this is pretty good principles for just if your friend does something wrong as well. Like you don't, you don't rail at them at the moment. You take them aside, not to embarrass them in front of the people, but you take them aside the next day. You tell them how you feel about what they did. And you kind of, you try and bring to the fore, bring into view what they did. Just look at it. Do, do, do you see this? Do you see what happened? This is this is what happened right there. You were mean. Can you see that? And that's the conscience. So my challenge to you, in conclusion, is next time they do something really untoward at the table, do the really annoying thing for the adult, which is to say, let's go and talk about it. Calmly, warmly, lead them out of the room by the hand, get down on one knee and look at uh, look at them in the eye. Don't propose to them. Look at them um, eye to eye. Smile at them. And ask the questions that will help them to confront exactly what they did and what its effects are. And when they have made the decision based on that, to... Accept the decision, not to accept, not to approve of it, but to go back into the dining room. They say, I'm going to do the wrong thing. And you go back into the dining room and they do the wrong thing. And then you take them out and talk to them again. It's tough, but I believe this is going to form habits for your child that will save time for you in the long run. <laughs> um, which is, I guess, the least of the benefits of moral habits. But among other things, it's going to save time for you. Love you guys. Good morning, Kinder. What are we learning about today? Works of, works of the Lord. The words and works of the Lord. A works of the Lord. Works and truth and justice with him. Yeah, yeah, how are we going to do it? Working truth and justice with him, exactly. And why? I don't know what it is, Daddy. So that all... So that all the nations sing his name. Exactly! I'm so excited to do that with you. Good one. <laughs> Thank you.